today I want to talk about Africa. Uh, my Twitter handle says, change Africa or die trying. And I'm really convinced that we live in an incredible continent. I've had the privilege of traveling across this continent and visiting different countries. And the thing that amazes me is how beautiful this continent is. We live in the richest continent. How many know that we live in the richest continent in the world? In terms of resources, we really are an amazing continent. I mean, I had the privilege of going to UG. I don't know if there are any Ugandans or people who love UG, but let me tell you, Uganda is an amazing country. The best, the, the sweetest pineapples, mangoes, whatever, pop, you name it. Those guys grow the sweetest fruits. The place is so fertile. They say if you eat a mango today and throw it on the ground and come back next year, you'll find a tree growing, a mango tree. I mean, it's, it's not a lie. I mean, Uganda is an incredible, uh, incredible country. Uh, they have, I've never seen, they have banana, wild banana trees growing on hills. Where do you see wild banana trees, first of all, in Kenya? Uh, just wild, nobody planted them. And then they're growing on top of a hill. That's how fertile that country is. Uh, Uganda is an incredible country. I've had the privilege of traveling to Zambia. Zambia is one of the most amazing countries. It's such a rich country. Those guys have gold, they have copper in the ground. They have so much water. They have 3% of the world's water supply. And they, they have so much water in Zambia, by the way, that, that their lakes have lakes underneath. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, let's not even talk about DRC Congo. Congo is one of the most, by the way, Congo is, I believe, the richest country in the world. Uh, it's got such incredible resources. Uh, those guys, I mean, the list of minerals in Congo include cobalt, copper, cadmium, diamonds, gold, silver, zinc, manganese, tin, germanium, uranium, radium, bauxite, iron ore, and coal. <laughs> wow, one country. But yeah, they say if Congo, if the whole of Africa shut down, and Congo alone operated at optimum, it would have enough resources to feed the rest of us. It's an incredible, incredible country. I mean, we're not so far behind as Kenyans, by the way. Uh, we also have a lot to jivonia about as a country. Uh, this country, by the way, has, it's, I think we're the third uh, largest tea producer in the world. Uh, but apart from that, our tea is the best in the world. I don't know if you know that they use Kenyan teas to upgrade other teas so they can sell them. When you hear the British selling Lipton's tea and Earl Grey tea, do you know there's not one single tree of tea in England? It's all from here. And they upgrade our tea and they, and, and they use it to sell, they brand it and sell it to other countries. But we have the best tea uh, in the world. Uh, apart from the tea that we have in Kenya, we have other great things happening in this country. Uh, I could tell you many things. We have phenomenal wildlife parks. Uh, Nairobi is the only city that has a wildlife park in the city. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, we have an incredible uh, beaches, we have islands, we have impressive waterfalls, we have snow-capped mountains. All in all, are as gifted in terms of just diversity, like this country of ours is. We supply 30%, 32% of the world's cut flowers. Uh, this little country, by the way, how many of you used to have read Asterix? The little Asterix comics. Some of you who are a little older might remember the Asterix. There's, there's this, it's, a, it's a story about a little village that was so small, but it had so much power. And I really think of, sometimes I think of Kenyans like that. It's like we're, so, we're such a small country, but inordinately, we have so much power. When you watch the World Athletics Championships, which is the anthem that you hear the whole world listens to, Paka, they get bored of. It's a Kenyan national anthem, isn't it? You know, I think Kenyans are so used to it that when our athletes come back from winning gold medals across the world, what do we, we complain about traffic jams. Let me tell you, in Uganda, one person won a gold medal. One. The country shut down. 
seriously. I mean, we have such natural talent. We have such amazing talent in this incredible country of ours. Uh, let me say that we have got the best weather in the world in this city. Uh, some of you have lived abroad, you know that. I mean, I don't know how people think of living in another country. Nairobi has the best weather in the world. And when you see expatriates, uh, when their contracts expiring, fighting tooth and nail to stay here, it's not because they want to help the poor Africans. It's because this is a wonderful, wonderful place to live, and they know it. They know it. But you know, the interesting thing is, despite all these huge, <laughs> great things that we have as Africans, we also are facing some major challenges as Africans. And I think those ones we're pretty familiar with. You know, Congo, the country I spoke about as being the richest in the world, Congo is actually the poorest country in the world when it comes to income. It's a tragedy. that it, it, the average income, basically, uh, the gross national income is $370 per person. I mean, it's the lowest in the world. How can the richest country in the world also have the poorest people in the world? You know, it's interesting that 60% of the world's arable land is in Kenya. 60%, sorry, is in Africa. 60% of the world's arable land is in Africa. 40 out of our 54 countries have food insecurity. How is that? We have the world's farms but we are the ones who are struggling for food. Nobody else is struggling for food except us. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we, uh, malaria kills one million people in the world worldwide, but 90% are in Africa. 90% are in Africa. It's been eradicated in other parts. By the way, there's malaria in other parts of the world. There used to be, but they've just dealt with it. We just haven't dealt with ours. Out of $100, every $100 created, of wealth created in Africa, $65, goes back to the West. It goes back to the West and to the East and to other places. 65, so out of every, all the money generated here, 65% leaves us and we're left to, sh to fight for that little measly 45% that is left here. Now it's easy to talk about Africa, Africa is out there. Let me talk about Kenya because Kenya is what we all know. This is our home, we love this country. Let me say this about Kenya. Kenya has its own major challenges. I mean, one of the interesting challenges that I find I don't understand in Kenya is water shortage. Uh, Kenya has enough water. We have enough water as a country to feed or, or to look after, to provide water for six to seven times our population. In other words, if we tapped the water that we get in this country, we could feed 250 million people easily with that water. We're only 40 million. But here's the interesting thing. We have so much rain in Kenya. In fact, I was, I was reading this, it was just funny. Uh, average rainfall in Kenya is 31 inches of rain. Guess what the driest parts of Kenya get? Okay, let me give you context, let me give you context. Israel gets five inches of rain a year. So we get 13, uh, 31 inches average. Guess what the dry parts, the very dry parts of Kenya get? Anybody guess? 10? 6? Yeah, close to Israel. The driest parts of Kenya get 13%, 13 inches of rain. Israel gets it, <laughs> grows enough food that it's basically a world major supplier of food, importer of food to the world. In Kenya, 50 years later after independence, People are still dying every year of starvation and drought. Uh, we have major problems with energy. 
energy deficiency. By the way, have you ever, how many of you ever seen that map of Africa that has, of the world, that has all the continents lit and then Africa is a black hole? It's, it, it's a photo that was taken at night. Eh? <laughs> there are no lights in Africa. Basically, we're, we're, we're a continent that has no lights. In Kenya, I mean, we have 20, only 23% of our population has access to electricity. Now, kudos to the government. They're really doing a lot of work right now to connect our country uh, to electricity. But 75% of Kenyans do not have access to electricity. What, that, that means they're using what? They're using kerosene, they're using trees, they're using uh, uh, all the stuff we don't have because Kenya has only 1.7% of forest cover. Let me just put it this way. Almost every Kenyan, no Kenyan knows what a forest looks like. You know, I say it, it sounds funny, but I actually went to Germany and I entered a forest. And I said, oh... By the way, when you read forest, that's what a forest is. The thing is scary. It's big. I mean, the trees go forever. And I'd never seen, by the way, I've gone to Ngong Forest, I've gone to Sijui, Karura Forest, which other forests have I? By the way, there's no forest in Kenya. And I'd never realized, because we cut down all our trees. And because of that, we have energy deficiency. In addition to that, we have unemployment. I mean, our youth are unemployed. And that's a powder keg waiting to explode every new election cycle. We have a poor savings culture. Let me say savings. Savings is important because we're here to learn about money. And I talked about economic slavery. We have such a poor savings culture. And the problem is when a country saves, it can increase investment. It can produce goods. It can create demand for its goods. And then it can sell those goods and make surplus. Now, when a country doesn't save, it has to borrow from foreign investors. It becomes a net consumer as opposed to being a net producer. Unfortunately for us as Kenyans, we don't even realize this, we're a Mitumba nation. We basically consume other people's products all the time and we do it unashamedly. I love, I've got a few friends who I was talking to my wife even this, just this morning, we've got a friend who is Ethiopian. The one thing I'll say about Ethiopia, you can say whatever you want to say about that country, but those are the proudest Africans I know. I mean, those guys consume Ethiopian products only. And by the way, it's so crazy, Paka, even mobile phones now, the companies had to go to Ethiopia to produce from Ethiopia for the people in Ethiopia to buy the phones. I mean, we're here flossing with, the, with, our, with our latest iPhone. Uh, who's, who are you making money for when you buy that iPhone? Steve Jobs and his progeny and all those guys. Uh, none of it remains here. They, you got, the Ethiopians actually have a phone. And by the way, that phone says you know Africa. I wish I brought it. Uh, my wife calls it Silaha. It's something that is big enough, you can throw it when a thug comes to your house and knock him out. I mean, what else do you need as an African? It's, it's practical, huh? It has a torch. The torch is so bright, when the lights go out, we actually turn ours over and, and it lights the whole house. I mean, that's how bright that thing is. Uh, it's completely, it's just a contextual African phone. I love it. Whenever I see it, I think these are people who have the idea that they can actually be economically emancipated. Now, let me just say this. Um, why am I saying, why am I talking about Africa? The reason is because I believe that the fact, the reason you're here at Centonomy is not just to learn how to make riches for yourself, but because you are supposed to provide solutions for Africa. And I love how Douglas said it. You know, it's, it's about creating solutions. I think one of you said it. It's not about trying to make money. It's about creating solutions. And the amazing thing about it is the more you chase money, the, more it's, the harder it is to find. The more you find solutions to solve, money comes after you. Money comes after you. Let me, 
let me thank you. Somebody gets it, huh? Let me let me say this. Washake, I hope I don't put you on the spot here. I'm, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you in any way. So forgive me in advance. Yeah, my, my, my children and I were having a discussion. We like to have discussions. So the minute somebody said how many people have gone through Centonomy and we know how, people, how much people paid, we removed our calculator. And we started calculating. We said, this woman, she didn't set out to make money. She set out to solve a problem. But because she's solving a problem, she will make money. And by the way, I don't believe you've even begun to make money. This, this thing you're doing is so huge, it needs to go to every African country. Uh, because like I said, we're in six African countries. If you think Kenyans are doing badly when it comes to money, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, try Uganda. Uh, <laughs> oh, try Zambia. I mean, let me say, Zambia, they have all that water. Zambia is twice the size of Kenya. It has, all of it is arable. By the way, there's no Mandera in Zambia. <laughs> there's no place where you have to actually work hard to plant anything. And I told you, they have lakes under their lakes. They have 3% of the world's water. Milk costs three times the cost that it costs here in Nairobi, in Lusaka. Africans are in dire straits because we've been colonized in our minds. And you're solving a problem, and as you solve it, the resources would follow. So my question to you that I want to give you today, and I, like I said, I'm going to try and really be brief with this. What problem were you created to solve? What problem were you created to solve? By the way, the, the, the problem you are created to solve is very different from the person sitting next to you. This is something I wish Kenyans would understand. Because the problem is, when Kenyans think of entrepreneurship, the first question they ask is, what are people doing? Isn't it? Quails, sour. <laughs> you, you sell everything and you jump into those things with all your money because your neighbor made money. And you don't realize maybe your neighbor was solving a problem. And you have no idea what the problem is. What you're looking after is money. And so the question I want to ask is, what is the unique problem that you are created to solve. Because when you begin to discover that unique problem, trust me, money will stop being your problem. You will stop running after money because money will come after you. I'm gonna give a few examples from my life after this. Lest you think I'm here to preach. You no know, preachers sometimes preach things that they're not practicing. So I'm gonna share a few examples, but let me just get through a few, a couple of points first, uh, because I want you to get this. All right. Uh, there's a little story that I love that talks about a nation that was colonized like we, were, like we are. This nation was colonized economically, they were colonized politically, they were colonized in every way. And the problem for them is even when they tried to compete with their opponents, the competition was so unfair because their opponents had everything and they had nothing. So even the tools they were supposed to be competing with were in the opponent's camp. So how do you win? when the opponents own everything. They own the field, they own the ref, they own everything. How do you win? And that's exactly what was happening. So it's a little story, it's an amazing story. I'm gonna read it. It says, there wasn't a blacksmith to be found anywhere in Israel. The Philistines made sure of that. And they said, lest those Hebrews start making swords and spears. So these are people they are fighting and they say, look, the one way to make sure these guys never win, we control the steel economy. So they're the, ones, they're the only ones who made the steel in that part of the world. And they say that meant that the Israelites had to go among the Philistines to keep their farm implements, their, their plowshares, their mattocks, their axes and sickles, sharp and in good repair. They charged a silver coin for the plowshares and mattocks and half that for the rest. So when the battle of Michmash, this is where they were fighting, when the battle of Michmash was joined, there wasn't a sword or spear to be found anywhere in Israel except for Saul, the king, and his son, who were both armed. So think about that. Eh? That's so ridiculous. 
you're going to fight the guys who own the steel. So basically they have the swords, and then the only thing you have to fight is pangas and jembes. And to sharpen the pangas and jembes, you have to go to them. So you're with blunt pangas and jembes, and you're facing them. How will you ever win? How will you ever win? Let me say this. As Africans, we've been fooled. We've been fooled. Because we've been told we are competing globally. And what we don't realize is we have blunt pangas and jembes that are causing us to the place where we never will win this fight. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I preach in church and I tell people, when you start to understand some of the things the Bible says, you stop, you stop, you stop thinking of it as opium for the masses or religion. You begin to realize, oh my goodness, there's life there. Because it's telling you, open your eyes. You cannot compete with people who have everything and you have nothing. Something has to change. Let me tell you three of the wrong weapons, three of the problems we face, the, ch the, the wrong weapons we are fighting with in this global economy. Number one, number one, the three wrong weapons, national miseducation. We have a national miseducation system. I don't call it our education system. I call it miseducation. Because I don't think we really educate people to compete on a global stage. Our school system was never developed for our prosperity. Have you ever stopped to think about why the school system was created in this, in, in this continent? The colonial masters wanted good servants to work in their factories and in their, in their, in their government offices. So they created a system that would produce good people to work in their companies and factories. And that's what our education system was created for. We've perfected it, of course, after colonialism. And we became really good at producing the things that they taught us to produce. And so the problem is, you find that people are educated to look for, compete for, and find jobs in foreign multinationals. Isn't it? I mean, you get a job in... Okay, I wouldn't mention brands here, because this is going to be on YouTube. But you get... You, put, the, put the word in your mouth. You say it yourself. And you know how you floss for people. I mean, you walk around in this city like you own it, because you work for that guy. And we've been cheated, not to think that we can be that guy that other people are working for. And we all want to be the one who works for the big five, or the big whatever. And we've, we've been lied to, we've been colonized in our minds. And as a result, many of us have MBAs and all these big degrees, our shags. Guys do not have running water. And the MBA is completely irrelevant to solve the problems of those young people in your shags who are sitting in the kiosk with nothing to do, and they're dying of alcoholism. And what do you say? Serikali. Not understanding that is your responsibility. Because your education system never taught you to do anything except look for a job. Now, it's interesting because it started with our parents. Our parents did that. We are doing it as well. And here's what I'm saying. Education should make you a change agent. That's what education does. It helps you find problems and solve it. You know, I always laugh about the way um, a lot of NGOs talk about child labor. Uh, in fact, in our education system nowadays, a, they, they teach our children about that. I remember once uh, our children uh, got a question when they were very young. One of them got a question, what is it when children are made to work? And the correct answer in the class, I think it was a social science, was child labor. Our, children, our child wrote chores. Because at home, that's what we, we make them work from when they were kids. And it's like, yeah, we, they're taught to work. Wazungu kids... In the holidays, they find you, you, when you go into their countries, you'll find that they have a lemonade stand and they're selling lemonade to their neighbors on a hot day. And these are kids who are six, seven, eight. 
uh, selling to the neighbors. They're being taught. Have you seen a problem? Solve it. What are Kenyan kids doing? PlayStation. Let me tell you how colonized we are. We went to Germany. My wife and I went to Germany. And we, we were with a couple there. And we were very intrigued. They're a very upper-class couple. Uh, the guy is a rocket scientist. You know how they say you don't need a rocket scientist to solve this problem? The guy was actually a rocket scientist. I never met one of those guys. They actually exist. Uh, he, worked, he worked for Boeing Corporation. Uh, the, the lady was an architect. I mean, completely high class. Uh, we entered their house. We didn't see a TV anywhere. We didn't see anything electronic. All they had is a big wall with books and books and books and, uh, and uh, lots of board games and a lot of uh, tools on things to make do-it-yourself kits. In fact, the 11-year-old had just made an alarm clock. Uh, 11 years. And he had bought uh, the pieces from a shop, followed Google, and made an alarm. He was so excited he was showing us. So I remember asking them, how come do your kids do PlayStation here? You know what they told us? They said, in Germany... You'll only find that among the blue-collar workers, the poor. They say, because among the upper class, we teach our children to create the games that others will play. So what's a middle-class Kenyan doing? You're saving hard so you can get that Xbox for your son, isn't it? Because we're colonized to consume. And who's making that, that Xbox? The child of that guy who will always, that child will always be colonizing your children, just like right now you're colonized by his father, isn't it? This is the colonization of our minds that we're in. Problem number two, the next wrong weapon, parental misguidance. Parental misguidance. Thank you. Somebody realized I forgot to walk around with my, my PowerPoint. Here's the thing. Par parents are meant to guide us. With due respect, I want to say that our parents have often misguided us about what education is meant to give us. Our, our, in our parents' generation, they, told, they were told to go to school, memorize some facts, pass exams, find a safe, secure job in a respectable profession as a teacher, a secretary, a civil servant, and then live there with their benefits, enjoy the, the quality of life that that gave them, retire one day, go back up country to your farm. Isn't that the script many of our parents have lived with? Yeah, that's the script they learned. Now they passed that script on to us. And the script we have is very similar. Go to school, get good grades. <laughs> In addition to a degree, do at least two professional courses. Yeah, do at least, by the way, there's no college student worth their while nowadays who is not doing a CPA, an MBA, uh, a ACCA, something, uh, as they're doing, as they're doing their, their, their first degree. Because you have to have the papers. You have to get the papers. We're taught to do that. And then after that, get a, a job in a respectable profession. Uh, be a lawyer, be something, that you, you know, floss, show guys that you're, I mean, make it. And then work like a dog and one day retire and have a nice house in Runda and your kids and you can celebrate the money that you made. Same script. Washeka said it. Repeating the same thing over and over and over and hoping for a different result. That's called generational insanity. As Africans, that's what we are practicing. We've been misguided by our parents. It didn't work for them, it didn't work for us. And the thing is, um, we, we, we all have been taught that, you know, it's all about that Kenyan dream. We all know the Kenyan dream. You know, if you're a man, it's the one wife, uh, the, the, the two kids, the three, three what? Three bedroom house, the four wheel drive, the, the, the five acre plot, the six figure salary, and I'll be happy, isn't it? I just have those things and I'm sorted. And we don't realize that is such a small thing to live for. That is such a small thing to live for. We'll always be slaves as long as we live that way. So my question again to you, what is the problem that you are uniquely created to solve? 
That's the problem I'm hoping Centonomy will help you begin to dig into. Number three, last one, and I'll be quick with this one. Scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality. In Kenya, we all know about the national cake. We talk about it every election. Uh, the, the, I don't know, have you ever seen the national cake, by the way? But you know it's there, isn't it? <laughs> we all know it's there. Somehow we believe it. It's, people are eating it. And you know it's our turn to eat soon. And we want to make sure our people are eating it. And it's like somehow we want to divide this cake and keep apportioning it among our people. And I like telling people at Mavuno Church, I like telling people it's time to stop eating the cake and time to start baking it. We can't divide the cake always. Somehow we have to create cake. Some people have to start baking cake for this country. It's not a limited resource. Wealth is not a limited resource. You know, sometimes we look, uh, there have been a lot of protests across the world against the rich, against the 1%. Uh, we, we are so against them because, look, they're they are, they are, they are taking advantage of us. But you know the amazing thing I've come to understand about wealth? If you take a wealthy person and you take all their wealth and distribute it to the poor, give that guy five years, the money will be back in with him. Because money flows in the direction of wisdom. It's just, a, it's such an interesting thing. Remember there's a little guy, there's a guy in the Bible who was called Solomon and God asked him, what, what do you want? Tell me anything you want. And Solomon could have asked for anything. He said, give me wisdom. And God told him, because you've asked for wisdom, everything is yours. He became the richest man of his time. Money flows in the direction of wisdom. And it's not about how big a salary you're paid. In fact, I've come to understand, big salaries are liabilities. They're liabilities. I teach my kids this. Don't look for a job with a big salary. You know why? Because the bigger the salary, the bigger the handcuffs. And the harder it is for you to leave that place if you need to and go where God is calling you to. So here's the thing. I mean, I've got a, I, 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 know, I know quite a few people in this situation. There's this, there's this young lady who uh, came back, educated from uh, abroad, came back home, got a great job in one of the multinationals here, and I remember having a conversation with her and saying, your parents have a fantastic business. I mean, I look at that per the parents' business. I say, if my parents could have left me a business like this, it's a serious business. The parents have grown old. They're tired of it. They want someone to take it over. When I told my friend, why don't you take over the business? She said, you don't understand. Are you seeing that car in the driveway? My parents can't afford that car. Are you seeing the clothes that I wear and the makeup I have on? That job they're offering me, I don't even think it has a salary. And she said, you know what? Uh, we've talked about it. I know they want me to come and work for them. But oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me say this. Africans, we've been deluded. One of our friends, another, another young lady, I used to do, um, I used to, I used to do tuition. One of, one, of my, one of the many hustles Kara and I have done is I used to do tuition for young children when I was doing my master's degree. And I remember one young Chinese girl. Her name was Vivian. And she was, I was teaching her maths. And I asked her, she was, I, I, she was nine years old. I asked Vivian one day, she was in, this was in the US, in Los Angeles. And I asked Vivian, Vivian, what are you doing in Los Angeles? Because I knew the person who was dropping her was not her father. Where do your parents live? She said, I'm Chinese, my parents live in China. So I said, what are you doing here? She said, it's very simple. My parents have a large company. It's based in Shanghai, where they live. The company has a, an ambition to have a global footprint, and the two global headquarters where they want to go are Los Angeles and New York. She said, I'm living in Los Angeles with my uncle and auntie. My brother is in New York. 
Do you ever think your children will compete against someone like that? <laughs> Who at nine years old is being groomed to take over a global business. And you realize she didn't say the, the business was global yet. She said it's going to be global. But I'm being groomed right now for taking over. That's why my children are here, by the way. Because they're going to be taking over. I'm grooming them to take over the things that we're building. So what problem were you created to solve? Let me say this. Kenya needs entrepreneurs, and it needs intrapreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who create solutions in a business that they own. Intrapreneurs are people who create solutions in a business owned by someone else. They have to be people who are employed. That's true. But even for you, never get into that mindset of, I'm employed. You are your best asset. Even when you're working for someone else, create such valuable solutions that that person, I mean, you, you, you create a brand for the solutions that you're creating. And at some point, you're going to find, by the way, let me say this, I've come to understand wealth, making real wealth, it's not about getting a deal. I'll say why I say that. Many people think, let me just get one deal. Then if I get that one deal, then I can now live a good life and manage the money well. The problem is, it's the building of wealth that teaches you the discipline of the keeping of wealth. So if you start with a million shillings right now, guess where that money is going to end up with? Somebody who has more wisdom than you. It's just a reality. So invest in wisdom. Let me just ask this. Please, if you came here to check this course out, sign up. I'm not even asking because Washuka asked me to say this. You need to sign up because enough Kenyans need this. So really quickly, I'll tell you a couple of stories from us. When we started doing business, when we were uh, college students, uh, University of Nairobi, their university, uh, we were classmates uh, doing uh, BSc Biochemistry. Chiromo uh, is where we used to do our classes. And we just hatched business ideas as we walked. We're dating, by the way. So just back to you, uh, Betty. It actually works. That's good conversation for creating a lifelong of marriage. It's not, it's not, it's not you, it's him. He doesn't belong where you are, all right? So, so anyway, so we created businesses and we, we, uh, we used to find problems uh, in Compass and we'd solve them. I remember finding that people were looking for good furniture around the university and I, 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 before they had expatriate sales, I was the first guy, I started going knocking on Wazungu's doors when I'd see they're leaving. I'd find out and I'd just go and say, I'll buy your stuff. I'd borrow money, I'd buy the stuff and then I'd sell it off. And I made a whole ton of money. I remember going to South Africa as a college student uh, I, I went to Kenyatta Market, I found all the women. I went to the women's supply shops, I asked them, what do you need and what don't you have? Many of them told me stockings and bras. I said, bus, that's exactly it. Went to South Africa, uh, I, I remember it was 30,000 shillings. I went to South Africa with 30,000 shillings, came back with two suitcases of stockings and bras and made a fortune. Uh, somebody asked, what was your first salary? I still remember what my first salary was. Um, I used some of that money to buy the, 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 the couch in our house that we're sitting on right now, that we still use, it was that good quality, and the dishes we use. My kids were asking me, what did you buy? I said, those, those chairs we sit on. That was what I bought with my first salary. Uh, we learned very early in life, as soon as we got married, we started living on one salary. So we've been working for 20 plus years. We've lived on one salary all that time. And the second salary has been for two things. We give and we invest. And when you do those two things, guess what happens? You have the value of, <coughs> it's time. Somebody talked about time, the time value. You have time on your hand. 20 years later, guess what? We're at the place where our ambition right now is in the next couple of years, we want to retire. 
Um, and retire doesn't mean I stop working as a pastor. I love to do it. I don't do it because I'm paid. I enjoy doing what I do. I do it for free. And I want to actually prove that because I'm going to work at Mavuno for free. I've been volunteer number one. And in fact, I always, uh, one of the things that we've also committed is we'll always be the biggest givers in our church. And so whenever we challenge people to give, we give more. And that's our desire. And we've been able to give by God's grace <laughs> some good amounts of money uh, to the church. Um, you know, Mavuno, it's got some wealthy people. We give more. That's our commitment. Uh, we've also been able to invest. I mean, let me tell you, you don't need money to make money. You need wisdom and a good reputation. And so one of, one of our developments, one, I'll just tell you one, I could tell you many, is a development that we found some great land uh, somewhere, beautiful, beautiful land, surrounded by forests and river, very close to Nairobi. Uh, it was so beautiful. I remember the first time I, say, I saw it, I said, if Amuzungu could see this land, you'd be seeing it in magazines and wondering which country that is. And God allowed us to be able to uh, meet the owner of that land. We made him an offer. We had not a single cent between us when we made that offer. He agreed to our offer. We got friends because of our reputation. Uh, we got friends and said, we have this beautiful opportunity if you're willing to invest in it. Our friends invested in our opportunity. Uh, currently, it's a 25-unit uh, uh, development. Each of the houses is about 300 square meters. So it's, they're, they're, they're large houses. Uh, it's got about one and a half acres of forest within it. It's a beautiful, I want, I want, to, make, I want to make Kenyans proud. I want you to see that, that place in a magazine and wonder which Kenyans live in that place. Uh, it's, only, it's friends who've bought. Uh, right now we've only got two properties out of the 25 left. I don't know if you're tracking me. We did not use one shilling of our salary, of anything. Currently, that development is valued at about a billion shillings. Okay, this is when you just let the breath go. <sighs> let, me, let me give you, let me, let me bust one myth. Ashok, I know I, I need to finish. Let me bust one myth. Many people say, if you want to make money, just start a church. Hustle people. People will give you money. If you're thinking about that, let me just save you the pain. It's the hardest thing you can ever do to start a church. It's hard. I always say, you know, Bob Colimo, if he wanted to fire all his employees, he can fire them tomorrow and start again. When, you have a, when you're leading a church, you're basically leading at a place where everybody around you is a volunteer. They come because they want to come. It's not something I'd recommend for the faint of heart. And that's why I don't think the church is what will ever make me rich. And I tell my people at church, I teach them how to make resource. Because I say what you need is wisdom, God's wisdom, and the value of time. When you have those two things, you can do anything. Now, Syntonomy is going to teach you that. Hey, this is when you applaud. Is that, is that a, that's, that's an awesome thing. It's going to teach you how to do that. So, like I say, that's just one of the things my wife and I are doing. We've had the privilege of having other things. Part of why we do this is because we believe Africa needs a different model, even of church. Uh, that we must create churches uh, where pastors are not seen as people who gain from the church, but are seen as people who give to the church. And that's why we've done this. By the way, out of that particular development, we're probably going to end up giving a total of maybe 15 million shillings to Mavuno Church as a couple, just the two of us, uh, to the work of God in that place. So I just want to say, why am I saying this? I don't want to boast in any way. The reason I'm saying this is because there's somebody who's sitting here who has so much potential and talent, and solutions are locked up in you, and all you're thinking about is when's the next hustle? How do I get safe? How do I get rich? And I want to tell you this. There's only 10% of, of Kenya 
that has the education level, in fact, it's much less than 10%, that has the education level of the people sitting in this room. Do you believe me? Yeah. There's only 10% of Kenyans who can track along these conversations that we've had today as easily as you have. And the commitment and the belief I have for every one of us is that the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. I believe that every one of us should determine that in our lifetime we will get to a place where we hire at least, we employ at least 10 people and pull them out of poverty. Because we're not just creating for ourselves. We're solving problems for others. Imagine if that could happen. Imagine if every single person who leaves this room could employ 10 other Kenyans and pull them out of poverty. And you make them wealthy. Imagine if that could be, by the way, that's one of the commitments my wife and I have. And right now we have got quite a few people that we're pulling out, we're educating them. Because we, want to, we don't just want to live for ourselves. We want to live to provide solutions for this continent. I believe, and I have so much faith, that I live in the generation that will see Africa stop being called the continent of darkness and become the continent of light. I believe, I believe that in this generation, Africa will stop being a recipient continent, always begging, and become a donor continent. Somebody needs to believe that with me. And I believe it'll only happen if people like yourselves get out of bed on a Saturday and come to a place like this and learn to throw off the shackles of colonial, uh, of economic colonialism and own your means of production and use them to liberate this continent. God bless you.